all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. The medical information presented on Southern Remedy is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and should not be used for any diagnostic or treatment information. The information conveyed does not create any kind of patient-physician relationship. Please consult your health care provider before making any decisions about your specific medical condition. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. I'm a pathologist, and I'm here today with my co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens, who is an OBGYN with expertise in maternal fetal medicine. We're actually both here this week, which I feel like doesn't happen frequently enough, so that's awesome. And we have another very special lady with us today, Dr. Andrea Lewis, who is a professor at UMMC in the Department of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery. And she does general ENT, but a large part of her practice focuses on sleep and sleep medicine. So today we are talking all about that kind of strange, we know a lot about it, but we don't know a lot about it thing we call sleep. What are the types of requirements? How much sleep should you be getting? Are you getting that sleep? Probably not, because so many Americans suffer from not getting enough sleep. And how do you know when it goes from just not getting a good night's sleep and being sort of tired to actually being a sleep disorder? We're going to talk about all of those things. But I do want to say hey to Dr. Owens. What's up? Dr. Owens is double fisting today. She's got two coffees. I just want to let the audience know this. See there. So it's going to be a, a, a lively show. Right. I was I was dozing off during that uh, intro. Oh, no, my gosh. <laughs> That's rude. No, but seriously... Did you really say, oh, we're going to be, now we're going to be personal. I can take the double <laughs> fisting joke. Said but, it was see, I can take <laughs> like the double are, fisting joke. But now all of a sudden, when I said I was nodding during the intro, She's I'm calling okay. me boring. I, I've, I've been called that not before. See there. See. I've been called that before. This is why. See, this is why. See, absence makes the heart grow fonder it's sometimes, true. doesn't it? Um, no, but seriously. Um, so this was because I got a little overzealous when I was pressing the little coffee machine and I made, I pressed it for a, size of coffee that was bigger than my cup so in order to avoid a flood I grabbed another cup so this is a one regular size cup of coffee that's split into two smaller cups that's you are a problem happened. solver <laughs> look that's it you know it's just there is an issue it needs to be addressed you gotta address the issue in the moment so there you go we love you for it indeed but it's so good to be here with you 
I'm so glad to see you. And so glad that we have our girlfriend, Andrea, here with us, too. I'm excited to be here with both of you. It's always fun to, to get to hang out with you for a little while. Absolutely. And it's been a minute since, we, since we've <laughs> had a chance to, to see you, or at least to see you in person, right? It has. It really has been a while since I've seen either of you. Yeah, try to, we try to do this show fairly regularly just because this is such a common issue for people. People have a lot of questions about this. It really is. I feel like it's such a huge... I always tell patients that sleep's like eating or breathing. It's something that you have to have. And there's so many factors that really disrupt or keep people from getting the sleep, whether it's a sleep disorder or lifestyle that um, so many people struggle with. And it really affects every aspect of their lives. Yeah. You know, it's kind of cool. It's like one of those, it's something that we do every day. Most people, (laughs) most people do it every day. And yet there are so many like misperceptions and misinformation that's out there about, (laughs) um, about sleep. Um, and I was just kind of reading through, um, some, I can't even remember where I was on social media, um, a couple of days ago. And, um, a person was talking about sleep recommendations Mm -hmm. for, children. And since we've now transitioned back into school, I know that's the first thing that my kids get excited about when school's out is that they can stay up a little later. Right. Like, so we don't have to be the schedule relaxes. You don't have to be as regimented about bedtime and those kinds of things. And so, um, she was lamenting this issue about, oh, well, the recommendations are that kids get this amount of sleep and my kids don't do that and so so again questioning the the recommendation like is this really right because my kid's not doing it um and saying do they really need that much 10 hours seems excessive for a for a for a child um but I think it's kind of cool you know we have adults who struggle with sleep we don't seem to struggle that much with sleep when we're younger Mm -hmm. because I mean yeah like as as kids I mean my kids I feel like they can fall asleep anywhere um, at any time, um, but we do know that those that our body's requirements for sleep change over the course of you know our our lives, um, with the little ones kind of needing a little bit more, because yeah. um, a lot of good work is being done during that sleep time. Um, but then also, we go from the need for sleep and kind of mm-hmm. having to get more sleep and then to a point where you might not need as much, but you still have a need and it needs to be good quality sleep. Right. So it's, and sometimes it's even more quality over quantity, I guess is one of the Mm -hmm. arguments when, when it comes to sleep. Cause if you sleep, if you're in the bed for 10 hours and you're, but you're up every two hours, then is that really as good as I saw that as one of the criteria for a sleep disorder like you get at least seven hours of sleep yet still feel tired still tired so speaking to quality and quantity and kids get a lot more deep sleep than adults right you have to think about kids you know you could a train could go through their room and they probably wouldn't wake up and as we get older we don't get as much deep sleep and so it's easier for us to wake to wake up and it kind of there is a misperception that we do need less sleep than kids, but we still do need seven or eight hours, you know, even as we age. And so there is a misperception that because we're waking up or don't sleep as well, that we still don't need that amount of sleep. And it does need to be quality. Quality is certainly as important as quantity. And you do see those people all the time that I slept 12 hours, but I'm still, I'm still tired. And there's something, you know, definitely else going on, you know, in those situations, but it certainly changed throughout our life. There's also the misperception that 
kids don't need as much sleep as they do and people can't, you know, figure out why their behavior's not, you know, good or why they're not doing well in school or why they're hyperactive and need, you know, ADHD medications. But we've got our kids stretched so thin sometimes that they're just not getting the sleep that they need. And it's really hard for them to function in a classroom. Mm-hmm. That actually makes a lot of sense. Um, the concept of how, because we talk about this all the time, like that when we ignore or don't get to our bodies the things that it needs, like that manifests mm-hmm. itself in some way, right? Whether it's the, and I, I'm sure we all know very high functioning people who will say, oh, I'm great on just all I need is four hours. We all, all know those people. Right? Right? We do. know those right. people. All I need are four or five good hours of sleep. They send you emails at three in the morning. Right. Like, what Absolutely. are you doing? I think about those people. Yeah. And they're like, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And it's like, well, the body's going to find a way to get what it needs. And if it doesn't, then there will be consequences. And those consequences can manifest themselves in a variety of different ways. Um, and we think about the same thing with like stress and how the additional stress that we have in our bodies and people will say, oh, I can handle all kinds of stress. I'm a very resilient person. Until you can't. Until right. you drop dead of a heart attack. Right. At, you know, at the age of 45, because you know, you have not really been appropriately dealing with those things that yeah, are got to take care of yourself. Absolutely. Right? Well, and there's certainly a lot of literature showing that people not getting enough sleep, you know, even people working the night shift and different things like that are, are certainly more prone to um, diseases and not living as long, a shortened lifespan. Uh, there's also the, the sort of um, fact that people get used to living a certain way and they don't realize like they could feel better. Um, they don't realize that, you know, their memory's not as good. You know, why am I putting the ice cream in the cabinet? Or, you know, why am I having to read this 10 times, you know, to remembering it? Or maybe I'm irritable or different things like that. I think they certainly don't, you know, put it together um, that you need sleep for memory consolidation and for um, your overall mental well-being. But um, But then again, like you said, too, that... You just don't know that you could feel better, um, like we talked about. And the and the diseases that are associated with the poor quality or not enough sleep is very misunderstood. It's a stress on your body. It is. Right? It changes your entire hom- hormonal profile, makes you release hormones that makes you hungry, um, causes a lot of inflammation in your body, you know, all those things. Ooh, and we know that inflammation has been linked to so many negative health outcomes. Like that is... That's actually one of the, I think, one of the most interesting things, at least in my opinion, it's one of the more interesting things that we're learning about Mm -hmm. um, chronic conditions and um, like how certain medical conditions are related to inflammation and how um, prolonged inflammation can actually help to worsen um, health outcomes, can accelerate aging and all these other things. And we are here talking with Dr. Andrea Lewis about sleep and sleep disorders. If you or someone you know is having difficulty with getting a good night's sleep, if you wake up in the morning feeling like you've been beat with a two by four, uh, even after having a good night's sleep, if you are struggling with getting to sleep or staying asleep, if you are a person who has managed to improve your quality of sleep, we want to hear from you. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I am Dr. Allie Brown. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens, and we're talking about sleep, which sleep disorders impact women more frequently than men. As I was reading, Dr. Lewis, Dr. Andrea Lewis, who is our guest today, she is a professor 
of otolaryngology, head and neck surgery at UMMC with fellowship expertise in sleep. So we are talking to her today about sleep disorders. And I wanted to ask you, Dr. Lewis, everyone gets tired from time to time. Everyone has a bad night of sleep or even maybe a run of a few bad nights of sleep. Like, for instance, if if you have an early flight the next morning, I think you're guaranteed not to sleep well, you know, et cetera. How do you know when or when would you start to be concerned that it's actually more than that when it's a sleep disorder? Well, you know, really to diagnose a chronic condition, you need to have it more than a few days a week for a few months, like for restless leg, for instance, to call it the chronic or insomnia. But as far as like when you need to get it treated is when it's really affecting your daily life, when you're not doing the things that you want to, you're not enjoying the things that you want to on a regular basis, when it's more than every now and then, and it's really starting to interfere with um, the things that you need to do. What are some things to look out for? Like you were talking about earlier, there in some ways you might attribute, you know, irritableness or lack of, of good memory, you know, to other factors. What are some other signs that you may have a sleep disorder? Waking up during the night, waking up not refreshed, headaches in the morning, um, and like you said, not remembering things. People even have micro-sleeps or feeling fatigued, you know, and they don't even what realize. What is a micro-sleep? So that you've had, like, they've actually tested people not getting enough sleep and, like, listening to lectures and things and seeing, like, their brain waves go into sleep patterns, and the person would never realize that they had, like, dozed off and, like, missed that part of the talk or that they weren't you know, aware during that time, like not even, you know, cognitive of that. And those are more extreme situations, but I feel like more people are on that extreme than you think, because even though a lot of people aren't getting enough sleep, a lot of those people will have a secondary sleep disorder too. So one third of people with sleep apnea also have another sleep, you know, disorder. So a lot of times they're not just isolated disorders. So you kind of combine those things and can certainly lead to really poor Really poor sleep. Um, other things, you know, weight gain, um, irritability, depression, and kids hyperactivity, um, trouble focusing, getting in trouble at school, and anxiety. Right? Like anxiety is a huge contributor as well. Because I, uh-huh. I, I know that there are sometimes when things that that I'm concerned about or in anticipation of something that is happening, like you got something big the next day yeah. or whatever, and and you're like, I have got to get a good night's sleep. Like you're telling yourself, it's like you're, you are hyping yourself up for that good night's sleep all day long. Like got to make sure I get a good night's sleep. I'm going to go to bed early, blah, 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 blah. And then you find yourself like staring at the ceiling. Well, and everything seems worse at night. I always tell my kids, everything seems worse at night. That problem in the morning is not even going to be an issue. Stop it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely put off all those conversations at bedtime. And when you wake up in the middle of the night, everything is doom and gloom and gives you anxiety. But but certainly women struggle more with insomnia and, and anxiety related to sleep, but also just anxiety in general, which causes difficulty sleeping. We're, we're all trying to multitask and keep mm-hmm. up with our kids. And, um, you know, some things that you can do to help that is to you know, even have some people tell them to set aside a worry time earlier in the evening so you don't, like, lay in bed and worry. Also to make that to-do list because I'll go to bed thinking, you know, I've got to remember this for in the morning when really, you know, before it gets close to bedtime, sit down and, and just make that to-do list so you don't have to try to, remember it you know one of the things I do is I keep a notebook next to my like a little notepad Mm -hmm. next to my bed and if I am 
like perseverating over something in my head or if there's something that's on my mind, like I will just grab the grab the notepad and I write it down and then it's done. Right. So if I wake up and go, oh, my gosh, I got to remember tomorrow. I need to I just write it down. And then I'm done with it. And I can, like, leave it there until the morning because it's not happening tonight. So, it, but it's yeah. done. And, and then I don't have to, then I don't continue to sit and think about it. Like, if something else pops in my head, I just write it down and and keep it moving. And that's been, it's been really helpful yeah. for me because as I've continued to um, mature, mm-hmm. I have, <laughs> can't say getting older, but no, um, but as I've gotten older, seriously, I, I realized that now I like my mind will run for a while Mm -hmm. and it's a lot harder for me to just wind down and, and really be prepared to fall asleep. That's a great strategy. Yeah. We're going to try that one out. All right. Annie is calling us from Hamilton. Hey, Annie. Hello. Hey, what's your question? Yes. I heard you mention earlier about going to bed and waking up tired the next morning thinking that you have got a really good night's sleep. I didn't quite hear your remedy for that. And sometimes when I go to bed, I go to bed, I sleep hard and thinking that I have slept, you know, a good while and it comes out to be only about two hours. So, you know, I didn't hear your comment on how to remedy that. Well, the waking up tired, we think, you know, typically that there's something else going on in your sleep. So the the remedy is usually specific to the disorder. Like we we hadn't talked much about it. Sleep apnea is a really common one when you're having to work hard to breathe all night and stopping breathing in your sleep. That can make you feel like you slept hard but woke up not feeling refreshed. Sometimes leg movements in your sleep, different things like that. And so really getting that diagnosed and then treating whatever underlying cause is making you tired is, is a way to do that. And it is not uncommon to wake up every now and then in your sleep, unfortunately, especially especially as we mature, as uh, Dr. Owen said, <laughs> um, we are more likely to wake up a little bit at night. Um, and then sometimes we do, we, we kind of don't have a concept of time or how long we've been asleep and we've gotten just enough sleep to feel a little refreshed, but really not not what we need uh, for an entire night so that certainly can um, come hap- can happen and strategies to help help fall asleep are important in those cases so who might Annie tell if she if she's feeling this way because a lot of times patients tell doctors the things that they ask right, right. and a lot of folks won't ask that question so who might she share this concern with that might help to be able to figure out kind of what exactly, if anything, is the the root cause of, of her feeling like this? So certainly a lot of people will share these feelings with their primary care um, provider, and then they will um, often even have screening questionnaires and things to help, uh, to help kind of identify a cause, and then also following up with a sleep um, physician and can be very helpful to... Um, and a lot of time they'll, you know, you can, they can refer you there or you can start there too. Well, thanks for your call, Annie, and good luck. Unfortunately, we all struggle with this from time to time, but if it starts being a chronic issue that you are never feeling rested in the morning, it's definitely something you should talk about with your provider. Yeah. And thank you for your call. Thank and for, you. And thank yeah. you. For our, but for your, for my, for my ladies who are, are pregnant. Um, for my pregnant people out there, um, if you are in the first half of your pregnancy and you get a good night's sleep and you wake up being feel, feeling like you got hit by a bus, 
yeah, that's normal. That's the thing. <laughs> oh, right. um, that that's your self-limited is, disease right that there. That is right? because right. you, my friend, are on a treadmill 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that includes the time that you're asleep. So when you wake up feeling exhausted, just know that after about that halfway mark, it will get better. Yeah, but then absolutely. you'll have trouble sleeping for other reasons, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I, I think it's funny because I have those, um, especially when they get to the end of pregnancy, because I mm-hmm. tell people that sweet spot is about from 20 weeks to around 28 to 30 weeks when you feel like, okay, I, I feel like myself again. I get my little energy back or whatever. And mm-hmm. then you get just big enough to be uncomfortable so that you can't get comfortable when you sleep. And so then you get this period leading up to the time of your birth that you actually feel like, okay, I just, I just need to not be pregnant anymore so Mm -hmm. that I can get a good night's sleep. And it's (laughs) like, well, guess what? When you become pregnant, then all of a sudden you're going to be up every two hours. (laughs) To me, that discomfort is sort of like God's way of making you less scared for giving birth. You know, because if you just think about it, if you're sitting there normally, it's like, oh, that sounds really scary. Like the baby now has to come out. But toward the end, you're like, take it out my yes, ear, yes. <laughs> take it out my eye. I don't care how it comes out. Just this, it's got to end. I don't know. I, I think bet. I slept better nine months pregnant than with the than with a newborn. Then the that's true. Toward the end was bad. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah it's true. just you. You have to just figure out whatever condition you're in to just be content in that moment. Because yeah, it can it can be a little bit worse. You're going to be challenged a little bit more before it gets better. <laughs> Dr. Lewis gave a little teaser just before about sleep apnea, but we're going to go back on the phone lines and talk to Lee, who's calling us from Memphis. Hey, Lee. Hello. Hey, what's your question? Well, uh, I have uh, a hereditary disease called homozygous hemochromatosis, and um, it is, uh, it's been under control with phlebotomies mm-hmm. for, for several decades, but all of a sudden it's like um, I'm aging really quick. Um, my cartilage is disintegrating in my joint mm-hmm. and uh i know it's something to do with inflammation but i don't know how how hemochromatosis works with what i just told you like i have a lot of problems sleeping uh i can't get sleep because i'm i have a lot of pain mm-hmm. but it's just a lot of joint stuff going on with my spine both of my knees it's just all over my body and i'm just there's no support groups and i'm just like what oh. am i going to do right so, what do you do to control your pain? Um, I have a lot of um, exercise. Mm-hmm. I do much exercise. I do. I used to do a lot of yoga, but I do a lot of stretches. I take Tylenol. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it sounds like maybe a, a cause of your lack of sleep is that you're uncomfortable, right, Doctor Lewis? Yeah, certainly pain. It really anything that causes pain or last night we all ate too late and we had reflux and disruptive right. sleep there's so many things the other thing with uh, hematochromatosis is the iron metabolism which sometimes can lead to some limb movements in sleep depending on you know if if it's i know normally it's high but they do the phlebotomies it can be low and so some of those things can contribute to and so uh, maybe something that you could also look into further to see if that's affecting it in different ways actually yeah i mean so restless leg syndrome is one of the more common um, sleep disorders and one of the causes is anemia or could that's be right. linked to anemia uh-huh that's definitely correct so correcting that or um can certainly be helpful or taking a medication to to counteract it um 
could certainly be helpful. So, Dr. Lewis, will you talk a little bit about restless leg syndrome? Because it sounds like maybe that could be contributing to Lee's issues, in addition, of course, to the pain. But uh, what is restless leg syndrome and how can it be treated? So restless leg syndrome is when you feel the the symptoms. So it's diagnosed as a clinical diagnosis. Typically, though, people can have periodic limb movements in sleep that are disruptive to sleep, which is a separate a separate disorder, but um, restless leg movement is a clinical diagnosis. When you feel the need or the urge to move your legs, typically by discomfort in the lower extremities, it's worse at night and it's relieved by moving them. And if this is keeping you from falling asleep more than a few nights a week, we consider that a disorder and one that needs to be treated. Um, it's typically from low dopamine, and um, which can be caused uh, by low iron or anemia is, is the thought, though other things can trigger it, kidney disease, some other disorders, some medications can can certainly worsen it, and it's a really common sleep disorder. And we were also talking earlier, there's a pretty strong genetic component um, to it, especially in people that get it in their younger uh, years that are, are more likely to get it if they are you know have had a family member. Um, with it. So is there any hope for those of us that, that might have that? Are there good treatments yeah, for it? Ab- yes, absolutely. They're great treatments. Typically, you know, a lot of time we'll first start with some conservative, you know, the, all this caffeine I'm drinking. Um, so increase water intake, decrease caffeine, you know, smoking, those type things make it make it worse. Uh, hot baths, massages, those things can be helpful. Um, checking iron levels um, and correcting that if that's abnormal. And then there's multiple medications. Um, Neurotin is one that can be helpful, particularly if people maybe have some neuropathy or pain also associated with that. And then the other ones that are real um, helpful is um, one called Requip and Mirapex. Both of those work to increase dopamine. Um, so there's several, and there's even some other treatment options if those aren't completely effective um, or are only partially treating it. But there's a lot of good treatment options for it that can certainly control it and and contribute to better sleep and, and falling asleep much easier. Well, Lee, I think we would encourage you to look into that because, of course, you can't really correct your iron levels because you're correcting them by making them low. Right, you can't. Um, yeah. So you <laughs> right. kind of skip right. that step. But uh, maybe looking into something like that might could give you some relief. Yeah, and I think also um, one other thing is you might want to check online for some uh, support groups for people with hemo, uh, for uh, hemochromatosis it, because the things that you are describing, Lee, even though it feels very unusual or abnormal for you, like the the joint pain and fatigue and restlessness and all of those things that you are describing are things that are very commonly seen in that disorder. And I think it would be really great to find a group of people. You granted it is it is a rare condition, um, but it is it is a very well known condition, and so it shouldn't be that difficult to find um, some support groups or some maybe even if you look on social media to find some online um, assistance so that you can find your people because there are there is a huge community of people out there who are who are struggling just as you are and realizing that you are not alone in that process I think will really help um, and having to you know, just to find some individuals with whom you can communicate and share stories and kind of go through this journey together um, is it can really mean a lot um, for you and also for them. All right. There's lots of support groups in Europe. It's called the Celtic Curse. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's a hereditary European deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm fixing to have a pill cam because they say I, they say I have unknown blood loss. Okay. You know, it's the opposite of what he was supposed to do. Right. Right. Uh huh. They they think it's like maybe what is it called when your blood vessels in your lower intestines are weak and leaking, leaking blood? Oh, the leaky gut syndrome. Is it, is it, yeah. I'm not, I don't know much about that, but people talk about that. But they, but they need to rule out that there's not some sort of a lesion or something yeah, or growing inside your colon or an ulcer or yeah, something ulcer like that. Or yeah. something like that that might also be a source for bleeding. Um, so it so, sounds like you're on the right track of getting that worked mm-hmm. out as well. Thank you for your call, Lee. We're going to go straight to the phone lines and talk to Bernard, who's calling us from Philadelphia. Hey. Hello. 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 Hey, Bernard. Hey there, uh, uh, I'm glad I had the opportunity to uh, call in. I, I'm a, I was calling in with reference to uh, uh, having sleep apnea and not about a problem, but about an improvement. Yeah. What what kind of improvements have you had? Uh, well, I've, I've had uh, sleep apnea now for approximately uh, oh, 30 years, and uh, here recently, I, with my new machine, I found out that uh, my difficulty at night was the um, how I had my mask on. I did not have my mask on uh, tight enough, and I was having periods of uh, excessive air leaks. Wow. And that was caught, disrupted my sleep through the night. An adjustment of the mask really, really helped. Well, that's good news. Yeah, that is good news. It seems like the mask is one of the biggest, or finding a mask that fits, or getting it to fit correctly is one of the biggest hindrances to people wearing or tolerating a CPAP machine. So that's and and having somebody who can really help you with that, I feel like, is key to getting people to wear CPAP. So that's wonderful that you're finally able to get some help with that. Uh, yes, uh, my machine is a uh, BiPAP. And uh, given the fact that I've uh, more or less had, uh, beyond being a novice, uh, I have uh, actually, I I take my data card out and then uh, analyze the data that is presented there. And I was able to uh, ascertain that uh, I was where my high leakage point periods were occurring and things of that nature. And my... uh, occurrences of uh, apnea, which was as great as uh, waking up 30 times an hour. Wow, still with your machine on before your mask Uh, got fit? That is correct. Mm -hmm. I'm down to approximately uh, my apnea occurrences or instances. uh, Total count is down to less than than two per per hour now. So uh, that mask the mask uh, adjustment and the uh, loss of, you know, air pressure uh, really made a world of difference because I was, I was just wore out to the point that I had to go to the doctor, and and that's where I managed to get things back on track by going to my sleep apnea. Ah, there you well, go. That's a big See difference. There. Certainly, yeah, certainly a mask leak can can cause that can also contribute to a lot of uh, awakenings during the night and such if it's leaking. 
Well, can I just tell you, Bernard, you have made my day because I have so many patients who um, who are supposed to be on there on a, a CPAP or a BiPAP machine, and, and they just don't do it. And I say, why? And they're like, because it doesn't work. And so I think what, what I'm also hearing here is that if you are finding that you have been fitted for... Um, a, for a mask or a machine and you are using the machine as you are being instructed and it is still not working, don't just throw the doggone thing away because it could be that there's something wrong that could be remedied that could actually make a big difference in what you're experiencing. Because I have so many people, I wore it a couple of times, it was horrible, it didn't work. Well, just double check, give it another chance. Um, it's not It's not the sexiest thing to put on at nighttime, but at the same time, it makes a world of difference in how you feel. And so I, so I think that it's Bernard, awesome. Tell her to speak for herself. So awesome. Oh. Thanks so much. And you're just wearing it when you, when you sleep, but I also tell people that, you know, sleep apnea is not always easy to treat. So don't go home and not come back because there are different treatment options. Um, and if it was easy to treat, there would only be one treatment option and everybody awesome. would be able to do that. Certainly though, you do need to give CPAP, I definitely give it that a good try. Like like Dr. Owen said, it's not um, using it once or twice. It's not really a trial period of trying it. So what are some other options for treatment of sleep apnea since it is really yes. common, right? It, absolutely. Yeah, it's greater than 20 you know, percent of the population will have some sort of sleep apnea, especially as with age, it can you know, increases. But um, so. There are multiple surgical treatments, and there's even some other medical treatments. Now, in kids, the number one thing that we do for sleep apnea is take out tonsils, and that cures like 85% of, of children with sleep apnea. Adults, a little bit more complicated, Every but there are some adults with big tonsils still, but mostly that's not a cure for adults. One of the newer surgical procedures that I do a lot of is called Inspire, um, and it is where uh, I actually... Um, place an implant that that stimulates the upper um, airway muscles to not collapse when you sleep. So when you have sleep apnea and you lay down and you relax and your breathing changes, the muscles collapse. So you're trying to take a breath and you can't move the air. CPAP works by a little air stent to keep the airway open so you can move air. But the nerve stimulator, the, the Inspire device, works by providing tone to those muscles but you don't have to wear anything on your face. So patients have a remote that they turn it on. And so the, the mask, like, like Bernard talked about, is a big hindrance to people using um, a CPAP. And so with this surgical procedure, with this device, they have a remote. And there are also other surgeries that I still do to the, to the throat to open for more room. Or often the nasal passages being blocked can be a hindrance to wearing CPAP. And opening those can certainly help people tolerate their mask. It won't cure their sleep apnea typically, but can certainly be a, a big part of getting them treated. All right. Well, Bernard, thank you so much for your call and good job on being compliant with your BiPAP. Oh, thank you very much for that opportunity to comment on it. Hopefully it'll help some others. And yes. one other thing I noticed is that my sleep position at, will trigger things like that uh moving my mask and so forth so uh, it's hard not to move when you sleep right right yeah restless sleeping has caused me some problems so thank you so very much for your program and uh i'll get off and listen <laughs> thanks for calling we've had some interesting callers today yes, with uh, uh -huh. kind of covering some different 
topics. What are some other issues that you commonly encounter in your sleep practice? Um, What we talked about, the most common ones are insomnia, restless leg, um, and sleep apnea. Um, I think just scheduling and and we touched on this too, but not getting enough sleep. And that's a big one for teenagers and such. Um, well, cause they're programmed to actually stay up late, right? Right. We did this artificial thing where right. we make them get up early and go to school. Right. So well, not Katie anymore and, now. Cause now they've pushed it back places. a little bit. Yeah. They pushed not, it back. Not where my teenager goes to school. Right. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Mine goes early. Yeah. So, so in, in many of the schools now, there's been a push to allow the teenagers to come to school later so that they would, come in later and maybe stay later yeah, to more great... comport with their needs for sleep. Well, so circadian rhythm disorders, you need to stay up later or you need to go to bed earlier and get up earlier and it doesn't go along with everybody's lives. And, you and, mentioned that night right, shift, yeah. Right, and so teenagers, it's not really a disorder, but they are typically, and I always tell parents that complain about that, they really are designed to stay up later and sleep later. And I'm glad to hear that some schools are adjusting their schedules for that uh other other people and it can actually have a genetic component or where they can't go to bed earlier and then night they sleep. right uh-huh. but it really interferes with their relationships and their lives um often as people get older sometimes too they want to go to bed really early and get up really early and they can't like go to eat with their family and so um those are certainly some of the things that people complain of. Yeah, I've heard a lot uh, that people, as they get older, they wake up earlier. They uh-huh. can't go. They just wake up yes. super early, which has never happened to me. I would love to be that way. We're going to go. Uh, I'm Dr. Allie Brown here with my co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens, and our guest today, Dr. Andrea Lewis, who is an expert in sleep medicine at UMMC. We're going to go straight to the phone lines and talk to Mimi, who's calling us from Madison. Hey, Mimi. Good morning, Dr. Brown. This is Mimi from Dental Care. I knew it would be. I was like, I bet that's my Mimi. (laughs) How are you doing? Sleepy? I'm well. I'm well. And I caught the show. I just got in the car about 11.45, so I wasn't sure if y'all had already covered sleep apnea devices, the oral kind, for people who cannot tolerate CPAPs or BiPAPs. So the oral kind, as far as like dental appliances, since you're calling from, yes, yeah. yes, we didn't. I, Mimi I was, has been a dental hygienist for oh, many years, I, and she's an awesome one. So I, yeah, so when I said other medical devices, that was one of the main ones I was referring to, but that is a great topic, and we um, we did not, and I do frequently have people who have failed um, CPAP um, get fitted for and use oral appliance devices that pull the jaw forward to um, open the airway when they sleep. And sometimes I even have patients that'll be collapsing in one area and I'll have them, I'll perform a surgery in one area and then have them device to address the other areas um, and do kind of a combination therapy with an oral appliance. But, um, but yes, mandibular advancement devices are a great treatment for sleep apnea in a lot of patients. So is that like a retainer kind of? Kind of like a retainer, yes. And you can slowly um, use it to pull the to pull the jaw forward, so that the tongue's not collapsing. But it also does more than that. It really gives some more improvement in dimensions and just keeping the tongue from collapsing of the airway. Thanks for bringing that up, Mimi. Gold yes. star. <laughs> it's just such a great um, option for people who do not want to wear a CPAP or who can't. So, and we've seen it help so many people. It absolutely is. Now, I do always encourage patients, just like when they get CPAP or they have surgery or they do anything else, when they get their those devices, when they feel like they've kind of maximized um, their protrusion or their 
uh, jaw advancement with those or the ability to tolerate uh, the device to get a to get a sleep study a few months after they've had it to ensure that um, that they're where they need to be with that. But it is a great. Yes. Well, thanks again for your comment, Mimi, and I'll see you in six months. Love your show. (laughs) You're sweet. Thanks for calling. So, Dr. Lewis, real quick, um, for the people who are listening, what about what uh, what about those folks who are out there who are using or who have been chronic users of what we just, I guess, what we generally call sleeping pills? Mm-hmm. Um, what would be your recommendation, or like how how might somebody say, for example, somebody's you know been having difficulty with sleep and they're considering whether or not a trial of quote sleeping pills um, are right for them? So there's so many different sleeping pills. Yeah. We're doing airports like crazy. Right. (laughs) There's lots of different categories of sleep medications. And most people will typically start with an over-the-counter like melatonin. Um, A lot of people will use things that have things like Benadryl or an antihistamine in them. You know, they can be really drying and have a lot of sedating effects the next day. Melatonin is pretty natural. It, It can have some potential side effects, but really minimal and um and i feel like it's a good medication but then you get into more things like ambien um and other ones that can cause dependency so there's some things like that and then some of your what we call benzodiazepine category medications um like restoril and some of those so mostly what people typically like to do or what i like to think about those medications to be used for is like a temporary you know sometimes people do go through a life crisis or a period where they can't sleep to help them get back on track sometimes to even help them adjust to wearing a CPAP but not to be used on a nightly basis Um, what you also find with those is that people who do use them nightly don't say they work great forever they stop really working for those people and I I feel like people like to have a an emergency medication or sometimes that PRN medication if they do have trouble. So what typically happens is that people will come in and they've used those for years and they come in to say they can't sleep. They don't, you know, they're not working for them. And so I would encourage people not to use that as your nightly rescue medication for when you can't sleep to go with something milder like melatonin or um, I'll prescribe a lot of what's called trazodone um, can be used regularly without dependence typically. Um, for a nightly, those things don't don't knock you out. It's also hard to find a medicine to knock you out and keep you asleep all night, and then make you not tired the next mm-hmm. day. So sometimes the medicines don't do quite what people want them to do either. Well, so not all sleeping pills are the same. That's very absolutely. True. And I like uh, just the idea of just cautioning people for long term use. I right. think is really um, important. And if you find that you are a person who tends to require. Um, medication like that for long-term use, then would it be reasonable that that person might want to be evaluated to see if there's something else that might be more yes, effective? absolutely. It's sort of like a Band-Aid, right? It is a Band-Aid. And, and, and like I said, people, they're typically not effective forever. And so what we call cognitive behavioral therapy, um, just teaching people de-stress techniques, um, scheduling techniques, ways to use bright light and things um, are really better long-term treatments. You mean holding the phone up to your face? I was going to ask, what about screen time before (laughs) bedtime? I was thinking about the mind not relaxing when we said that earlier, and I was like, oh, I think screen time keeps our minds really active all the time and certainly keeps you from releasing the hormones that you need to release before bedtime. 
Because they even say with melatonin, after you take your melatonin, Mm -hmm. don't go and get on your screen because it sort of negates Mm -hmm. that effect, right? Absolutely. And so being off screens at least an hour before bed is a really great rule of thumb. And kind of dimming the lights in your house, too. You know, our body really schedules itself for sleep depending on the other things we do when we eat, when we get up, when we're exposed to light. Um, And so it helps our body schedule itself. And so all those other things that we do really kind of negate that or knock that off um, schedule. So really decrease your schemes screen time especially before bed and that's free like meditation or trying Mm -hmm. to just quiet yourself even a little few minutes of mindfulness can also be really helpful to relax you and get you ready yes meditation reading Mm -hmm. um, any of those types of things to kind of get your mind to relax are very helpful so dim the lights yes turn off your phone (laughs) and read is that even a song and read how are you gonna dim the lights and read well, Read true. with a dim light. Dim light. Oh, that. no, then we're going to have the ophthalmologist in here dark. telling us not to do that. Put on your readers and dim the lights. Not right. so much that you can't read. Right. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. And thank you, Dr. Lewis, yes, for another for wonderful me. show all about sleep. Thank you, Dr. Owens, for being my friend and co-host. The show was engineered today by Jay White. Our call screener was Liz Gill on MPB Think Radio. You guys be safe. Be kind. <laughs> Thanks for having me today. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.